Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning. Right as I get up here, my microphone falls out of my ear. My name, if you haven't met me yet, is Nathan Compton. I'm a lay elder here at Candeo. Uh, My day job, which after today you might tell me to uh, not quit, is I'm an architect that design buildings, or as my kids say, I spend my time in meetings and on the phone and answering emails. So uh, my family, get a picture up here in a second. This is my family, my wife, Sarah. We're going to celebrate 20 years of marriage this year. We are blessed to be high school sweethearts and got two kids, Oliver, who is 11. We actually celebrated his birthday yesterday. And we have Lula, who is eight years old. So fifth grade and third grade, uh, really fun ages. Today, we're going to look at a passage that is probably pretty familiar to all of you. It is the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6, 30 through 44. It's a passage where we see the miracle of Jesus taking five loaves, two fish, and turning it into a meal for 5,000 people out in a deserted area. We know this passage well, but sometimes when we know a passage well, we don't always think about some of the underlying messages that run throughout because we just read it and, and just see it for what it is and the miracle that it is. But there's even more there, and I want to show you some of that today as we go through this passage. Um, I'm going to take a second and pray, and then I'm going to read the passage over you. Heavenly Father, uh, just thank you for this full room here today. Thank you for the opportunity to teach. Pray that you just speak through me, help people to, to understand what you want them to see in this passage today. Amen. All right, I'm going to take a moment and read the passage to you. We're in Mark 6. We're going to read verses 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate 
and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. So as we come into this passage, there's a little backstory you have to see to understand the setting of the scene. The 12 disciples, they're coming off of a pretty wild experience. They were sent out at the beginning of chapter six on a missions trip. This isn't like any missions trip you or I have probably been on where we spend a lot of time kind of prepping, figuring out all the logistics, who are we gonna work with, um, all of that. No, this, this missions trip, they were sent out with nothing with them. We're told in, in Mark 6, 8, that they're sent out with nothing but a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt. And what are they doing? They're sent out to just go preach the gospel. So they have to just completely have faith in God that what they're gonna do is completely on him to take care of it. And we're told in, in Mark six twelve that on this journey, they preached, they cast out demons, and they healed the sick. Pretty wild mission trip that these guys were on. Much different than the going out and doing gospel surveys out in the university or going and doing vacation Bible school. These guys were, had some pretty wild experiences. So as they're meeting up with Jesus, this is what they're wanting to talk about and tell him all about their experiences. To add to the setting of the scene of what they're coming into, we also learn just before this passage that John the Baptist, the contemporary, the one who has been laying the groundwork for Jesus's coming, the one whose Jesus's mother is cousins with his mother, people who are following Jesus were followers of John. He's just been beheaded by Herod. So as they're coming into this story, they're probably just learning this for the first time about what's happened to John. So a heavy mix of emotions lay over these disciples as they step into this. And Jesus can see that. They don't even have time with all the people around them to take a break and process what they've seen, what they've experienced and what they're feeling because there's so many people we're told they're not even able to take time to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, that's when my emotions are heightened. That's when everything feels bigger when you're hungry. Probably why my wife, when we go out somewhere, uh, we're gonna go on a little trip or something, my wife always tells the kids, grab snacks, have that ready for them so that they're calm, but she also grabs me a snack usually, so I'm not getting hangry either. So as we move through this passage, I want you to see a few things. First, I want you to see, we're going to see how Jesus shows compassion to his followers, both the disciples and this big crowd that gathers here. But I also want you to be reminded that he has that same compassion for us and that we can see that in our everyday life. And that compassion that he shows to us, we in turn should be challenged to be showing that to other people around us. Today, we close out 2023, we step into 2024. 
I don't know where you guys are all at and your emotions and your feelings. You might've had a terrible 2023. It might've been one with job loss or family loss or any number of things that have gone in on in your heart. You might be looking expectantly with hope towards 2024, or you might be the opposite, seeing all the turmoil going on in the world and thinking, boy, 2024 is not looking good. It's gonna be a rough year. I know for me, uh, I mentioned Oliver's birthday was yesterday. So actually 11 years ago today was a pretty emotional time for me. At about 1 a.m., I was sitting with Oliver. We hadn't even named him yet. He was only six hours old. And I was sitting and holding him in a hospital room. And this is our first child. We'd been married for eight years. So pretty special, both scary having your first kid, but also exciting and the joy that fills that moment. But to add to that, it's, it's 1 a.m., I'm holding him, and I just watched my wife, Sarah, get rolled off into emergency surgery. She'd woken up at about midnight after a long, exhausting day of delivery. She'd gotten some rest, but then at midnight, she wakes up and says, something doesn't feel right. She rings the little nurse's bell and, and tells the nurse, I don't feel right. And instead of the nurse saying, yeah, you don't feel right. You just had a baby. You're going to feel miserable. Now, the nurse, nurse recognizes there's something more here and gets the doctor over and the doctor comes and they quickly realize there's some internal bleeding that's not stopping and, and is pretty serious and they roll her off into surgery. So as I'm sitting there, I'm, I've got my, my wife in surgery, don't know what's going to happen, holding my new baby, don't know anything about being a dad. I've been it for six hours. And... As all I can do in that moment is, is sit and pray. It was actually probably one of the hardest times for me to pray, but it was the only thing I knew I was gonna get comfort from, was looking for that compassionate shepherd that's gonna take care of me during that time. I know that regardless, and I knew that in that moment, that regardless of what happens, he's going to take care of us. We all have Jesus as our compassionate shepherd. As we go through Mark, you look at the book of Mark, there's a number of times throughout that book where the question is asked, who is this Jesus? We see that with the people in his own community asking, who is this? He's the carpenter's son. Or uh, we see it um, in other parts where, where Peter is saying, Jesus is asking Peter, who are you? And he says, you are the savior. Here, here we see that Jesus is also our compassionate shepherd. And as the compassionate shepherd, we see in verse 31, he recognizes their needs and he says, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. So where does Jesus take them? Does he take them on a vacation? Does he take them to go skiing? Does he take them to a beach to go relax? go to Disney World? No. As you can see from this picture, we're on the Sea of Galilee and he takes them to basically a remote, deserted place off the sea. He says, get in the boat. No grocery shopping, no planning. Just get in the boat. We're going. So he takes them away to this place. I, I don't know about you, but usually when I think about being exhausted, tired, having a very busy time, I'm wanting to go on a vacation somewhere nice, go do something fun. 
But here in this case, Jesus recognizes as the compassionate, good shepherd, that that's not what the disciples need in that moment. I don't know how often you guys come back from a vacation and say, I need a vacation for my vacation because you're so tired. He recognizes in the disciples what they need in that moment. They need to step away from all the busyness of the world, all the busyness of the things distracting them and focus on the one who truly loves them, who can refuel them, who can show them the compassion and love they need. So he takes them to a place where they can be away from all those distractions. Not too different from what I really need for myself, where I step away in the early morning, sitting at my kitchen table, reading my Bible and in prayer. That's what we need more than any other vacation, anything like that. So it looks like an odd place to take them off to a deserted spot off the Sea of Galilee, but that's what they needed in that moment. And we see uh, Jesus setting that same tone. We see it in Mark 135, where it says in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Or right after this story in Mark 6:46, where after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Jesus sets this same tone throughout the scriptures of getting away one-on-one -on -one with God, which is what each one of us need. So Jesus shows loving compassion by pulling them away from the group. He's the star of the show, but he's a student of those around him and understands what they need in those moments. He's paying attention to their needs above his own. In Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus displays true servant leadership by compassionately caring for the disciples in their time of need. In this case, he's addressing both their emotional and their spiritual needs. The emotional needs and the loss of John and the emotional need of the exhaustion that they're feeling and the mix of emotions that they've had and the spiritual need of getting, needing refilled and the protection that they need from God. As I was working on this sermon, there were a number of times where I had interruptions show up for me throughout kind of my work. I remember one morning, about 5.30 in the morning, got up early, had my laptop open, my Bible open, ready to work on my notes, thinking I've got till seven o'clock before anybody's up. Plenty of time to be able to focus and, and work a little bit. But one of my kids came down right after I started, pretty early for them. One of my kids came down, plopped on the couch and said, I don't feel good. That was a disruption where inside my heart, I feel this kind of like, oh, I wanna just usher them off to bed and see if I can get them to go sleep a little bit more. Not too unlike, I think, the disruption or interruption that the disciples felt as they rolled up on that beach to find 5,000 people waiting for them. They think they're getting ready to, to be in an area where they're, they're gonna be alone, get a break with Jesus, be able to get refreshed. 
and there's 5,000 people on the beach. I'm sure they looked over at Jesus and just saw that little glint in his eye and knew the day is not gonna go how they thought the day was gonna go. It reminds me of, of uh, the movie Maverick and Top Gun Maverick. In that movie, Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, he's the Top Gun fighter pilot who tends to do things in an unconventional way. But several times in that movie, Hondo, his air crewman, just before he's about to do some amazing feat that nearly gets him killed, looks over at him and says, I don't like that look, man. To which Maverick responds, it's the only one I got. I just kind of imagine this same back and forth happening between Jesus and the disciples as they roll up there and, and they look at him and they're like, this is not the day we thought it was gonna be. I don't like that look, Jesus. He's like, there's 5,000 needy sheep on this beach. Sorry guys, this is the look I have. He didn't, in Mark 10, 45, he did not come to be served, but to serve. Might not have been what the 12 were expecting, might not have been what they wanted in that afternoon. But there's times where we set healthy boundaries for ourselves, knowing that we need a break and there's interruptions that show up. And those interruptions may not be what we hoped for, but they're probably what we need. And we can trust that God is sovereign over even those moments. Our plans are changed at times because there are things for us to learn about ourselves and about God in those moments. It may be that we need to reorganize or recognize our focus on eternal things over temporary. Might be like in that early morning uh, when my child came down that I needed to see that I'm not in the one in control taking care of this sermon. God's the one doing it. And I can trust that even in those moments that no matter what, he knows what I need just as much as he knows what my kids need. And my son, he needed to see a dad who would stop, put down what he was doing and show that he is important to him in that. Just like Jesus puts down all the things around him and shows the sheep, shows that crowd what's important. The disciples on their end were about to learn that despite all they had seen and experienced on that missions trip, their reliance was not on themselves, but their reliance needed to be on God. As this crowd gathered around, Jesus in his wisdom knew exactly what they needed and what they longed for. As it says in verse 34, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He sees the world not through the lens of the temporary. He sees the world through the lens of the eternal. They longed for spiritual nourishment and he dropped any plans he or the disciples had in order to feed them, however long it would take. This is what compassion looks like. Jesus sacrificing his time, his talents, his resources to compassionately love those around him. 
We have people around us all the time that are like this. We, we have this same challenge when our child comes down, when our neighbor's car won't start and they need a ride somewhere, or when a coworker just needs a moment to talk. These are moments that we can be recognizing in our own day where we can be showing compassion to those around us, just as God has shown compassion to us. We are called to look through that lens of eternity, not the lens of the temporary, because God is producing in us something greater through that. Now in verse 35 and 36, the disciples we see, they're kind of starting to feel like it's time to shut this thing down. We don't, we don't see the crowd or are told that the crowd is starting to get kind of angry or get hungry or wanting to get away. But the disciples, they're like, eh, hey, Jesus, like there's a lot of people here. There's no food. I think we should probably send them away as if you're gonna send 5,000 people out to these tiny villages and they're gonna be able to find something to eat. No, uh, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Pretty shocking statement. The, the disciples naturally go into problem-solving mode, as most guys do, and start thinking about the resources they have and probably kind of dwelling on the resources they don't have. They went out on this trip. They listened to Jesus. He said, hop in the boat, let's go. We're not preparing anything. So they're out here and they got nothing, but they got 5,000 people that need food. Just to kind of put it in perspective. So this is McLeod Center at UNI. That holds 6,500 people. 5,000 people we're said, we're told as men. So a lot of people actually think it's probably greater than 5,000 people that are in this crowd. So if you think about feeding everybody at the McLeod Center, you're tasked with putting together a meal that satisfies everybody there. Uh, you might call Jimmy John's. I don't know. If you call Jimmy John's, you get a Tom Turkey from Jimmy John's, that's gonna cost you about $50,000 worth of Tom Turkeys. Yeah, and you're probably gonna need at least a week to get that order in. So going back to setting the scene, the 12 have seen some pretty amazing things on this missions trip where God worked through them to cast out demons and heal people. Pretty wild stuff. But something interesting about people, us included, is that we're particularly vulnerable to sin when we're emotionally, spiritually, physically exhausted. This is also partly, this is partly due to our weakness of our flesh, but it's also due to Satan recognizing this as opportune times to attack us and tempt us with things that we're pulled into by sin. It's also, we're particularly vulnerable and have a target on our back when God's using us in ways for his mission. I don't want to dwell on this, but it is something we all need to be aware of because sin is something that's gonna be attacking us. Satan's somebody who's gonna be attacking us and we need to be aware of that in our own lives, where those vulnerabilities are, um, but not something we necessarily need to be dwelling on. As C.S. Lewis says, there are two equal 
and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. This is one reason why we need to be in prayer all the time for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our deacons, for the elders in the elder room. Satan would love nothing more than create division in that elder room, to create division in this church, to create division among you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Too many churches have had that happen and we need to be in prayer for that. So as Jesus asked the 12 to feed his sheep, he's wanting to remind them that they're not relying on their own understanding, but to rely fully on God. What's impossible God, with God, with, uh, sorry, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The disciples might've had pride starting to set into them after this amazing experience, thinking, look at all I did out there on this mission trip. Look at the demons that were cast out, the people that were fed, the people that were healed. But Jesus is reminding them, no, you didn't do that. God did that. And nothing like a moment of complete helplessness where you have 5,000 hungry people and is all you have is five loaves of bread and two fish to be reminded that you are not in control. All right, to show the disciples and the people gathered that Jesus doesn't just care for their spiritual needs after spending so much time teaching and preaching to that crowd. No, he also cares about their physical needs. He has the disciples gather together their resources and then takes those resources, the five loaves, two fish, and creates a meal that fills everybody up with extra. He gathers them together, has them sit down in an orderly manner, reminding us of that compassionate good shepherd that we see in the Old Testament in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He then blesses and breaks the bread, which gives us a glimpse of what is yet to come when his body, which he likens to the bread during the Passover meal is broken on the cross for our sins and then has it passed out to all those so that they can be filled. Now I want you to notice one other thing in this passage. What comes from the compassion that Jesus shows to the people this day, we see in verse 42. Everyone ate and was satisfied. The satisfaction of the disciples and the crowd didn't come until the end of the story. After he has fed them both spiritually and now physically. Jesus, or in John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will not thirst. As is common with Jesus, when he shows compassion to someone, he doesn't, just, he doesn't just take care of one of their needs. He doesn't just heal them and walk away, or he doesn't just 
heal them spiritually and walk away and leave them with their physical ailments. No, we see like in Mark 2, he forgives the paralytic of his sin and then heals his legs, tells him to get up and walk. We see in Mark 5, he casts out the demons and then talks to the person about mercy. We see in Matthew 9, he heals the blind man. Over and over, we, we see Jesus healing people both spiritually and physically. As Christmas approached, our kids would sit and look at the Christmas tree, think about all the beautiful presents under there, dream about what's in them, look forward to that day of getting to open them all and see what's inside. Six days ago, that day finally came. Now, our Christmas tree looks pretty bare. The presents have all been unwrapped. The trash man's actually come, taking away all the wrappings and boxes and everything that, that went along with it. It's come and gone. Now, in case you were wondering, there's 359 days left for shopping before next Christmas. That desire my kids felt as they sat and looked at the tree and looked forward to getting to open those presents six days ago, we all have that hole inside of us. We all have that yearning, same desire and yearning that the crowd had that as they gathered on that beach looking for Jesus, wanting to hear him, wanting to be satisfied. We're all searching for that satisfaction. John Piper explains satisfaction this way. It refers to the experience of having our desire, longing, yearning, wanting, filled. Filled means not too little, not too much. Satisfaction in God is the experience where God is enjoyed as the perfect fullness that corresponds to the God-shaped desire of our hearts. So satisfaction means having exactly what we need. As the Lord's Prayer states, give us this day our daily bread doesn't say fill us for the rest of our life. It says, give us what we need in this moment. Every day, we're gonna continue to need to eat. We're gonna continue to need to be filled physically, spiritually, and emotionally. It doesn't go away. That will not go away until the day we step into eternity and get true satisfaction from Jesus. We're no different than that crowd of 5,000 that look like sheep without a shepherd. We too were once lost, but now are found. God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5a. So now we're able to love because he first loved us, as it says in John, 1 John 4:19. As followers of Christ, we are called to show compassion to those around us. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We too should not just be praying for the salvation of those around us, but should also be getting our hands dirty with showing those around us kindness and compassion addressing the physical needs that is around us. Here in the Cedar Valley, I think it would surprise some, 
but there's a lot of physical need. Our partner organizations like House of Hope, Alternatives, Love Inc., they see this every day. But it's not just what they're seeing, it's in our neighbors, it's in the people that we interact with at the grocery store. It's people that are coworkers, it's people we wouldn't expect to be in need are in need and need us. People all over the Cedar Valley who appear to be fine aren't. When's the last time you checked in on your neighbors, prayed for them, asked them how they were doing, had them in your home for dinner? When's the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone with others around you and stepped into their life? Have you ever done a prayer walk around your neighborhood, praying for the homes along the way, whether you know the people or not? Or grab lunch with someone just to see how they're doing. It can be hard to go deep if you don't spend time with people. You have to get your hands dirty and step into their life and let them step into your life. Get to know them. It can be messy, but there may be tears, but there's also can be fun, can be joy in that. It can be a delightful time if you let it. And it is what we're called to do in Colossians 3.12 as God's chosen ones. And it's what we see as the compassionate shepherd who is both compassionate for this crowd, compassionate for the disciples, and shows compassion to us. We too, in turn, can be showing that to those around us. Thank you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for the compassion that you show us every day. How unworthy we are to have a father like you who loves us, who cares for us, who watches over us. Lord, we thank you for how you care for us. We thank you for how you care for the Cedar Valley. And we pray that you continue to help those within the Cedar Valley come to know you more, to love you more and to continue to work in our lives, those of us in this room, to be your hands and feet for you. Lord, we thank you and we pray uh, for everyone as they head out into this new year for the work you're gonna be doing in our life. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.